Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me, alongside the dynamic duo, media executive Grail Hallett and Syria aficionado and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Today on OTB, we cover the world's game, as usual, from an American perspective. A uh, lot going on. The U.S. national team. I know we're a little late to the game with that one, uh, but they win seven zips. So we want to talk about that, even though we're late to it. Liverpool loses at home again. What is going on? Uh, Jewish lasers uh, starting fires in California. A lot of news. But our guest today on Over the Ball, uh, U.S. Youth Soccer's CEO, Skip Gilbert, will uh, will be joining us. It's always great to talk to Skip. He is uh, a guy who has played at every level. He has been an executive uh, with the Olympics and anti-drug uh, doping. And he's a real executive with a lot of ideas, a lot of things that are looking to make this um, a better, more usable, user-friendly game in this country. So, uh, guys, a lot to get caught up on today. Um, I do want to talk about our big win against TNT. Is it a big win? I'm not sure. But uh, what are we over today on Over the Ball before we get going? Grail? I'm over Liverpool. Wow. It's done. It's done. I, I This is going to get my friends who are Liverpool supporters are going to hate me for it. And I'm not saying it with any joy. But uh, I saw him lose to Brighton yesterday, 1-0. And uh, I just, I'm not seeing it. I, I just they dominated I dominated possession, right? I just, I, they dominated I, the play. Now they just, it, everything they that went right this year is going wrong this year. Everything, well, right. all the bounces, the non-injuries, everything. And it's caught up with them. And I think they're still going to be a contender. I'm not writing them off completely. But you're, not, I, you're saying top four still? I would say top six. Um, and oh, I and, and I, I still four. and I still, as I mentioned on the sh- the show a few weeks ago, I still think other than City, there's a very good chance that a Leicester or an Everton or a um, Aston Villa could win this thing. I still think it's I still think it's open, but I don't think Liverpool's going to be in the mix for the title. Notice the team he didn't mention. He didn't mention Chelsea there. With no, 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 top six, top six. So uh, you know, look, I think what is uh, you know Liverpool with all the talent they have, uh, things come out of the back, and I think everyone knew when Van Dyke was first acquired the immediate difference that he made in that Liverpool team, a team that was already stacked with a lot of talent. Um, But here we see this these injuries add up. But I think more than that, I think it's, a, it's just a Van Dyke. He's, he's worth a, a, you know, so much more than just keeping balls out of the net and, and starting, you know, things offensively. It's, uh, it's well, that a Van Dyke Co- Gomez combination was Gomez really, really solid. So, um, yeah. you know, it's tough going for Liverpool, but nobody's going to cry uh, tears for, for Liverpool. They've had a great run and they've battled some huge injuries. So it's just, it's just part of the package. Yeah. Exactly. They run a little more, a little more fun to watch this year. So Sam, what's uh, what are you over today on over the ball? Yeah, I'm over something probably far less inconsequential, but uh, I I'm just over referees like carrying around a little notebook with them to write down their cards and everything. I, I don't see why in this modern age where we're using VAR to rule out goals, the ref still needs to like jot down who gets a yellow card. I mean, Surely he's got he's got a mic attached to his ear. He can just tell the fourth official who the card is on. It can get logged in some iPad. I mean, the fourth official doesn't do anything. He could at least do that. Uh, oh, yeah, just, so he, wait, he holds up the stoppage time sign, Sam. Come on. I mean, that's huge. But, <laughs> well, you know, look, Sam's got a point. The technology should maybe alleviate that. But some of these guys, they've been carrying a notepad with them for 20 years. And so, you know. Yeah, it's, like a bo- it's like having a Bobby or a policeman on, on, on the thing taking copious notes about Sam's behavior on the pitch. And there's a lot going on. I mean, you forget those things. So like, you know, sometimes a lot of people will ask me to do these uh, MC, these uh, like fundraisers. And so I'm asking for money from people and I'd be like, you know, a thousand dollars. Do we have $1,200? Do we have $1,200 here? You know, and then after I start asking a little bit more, I forget how much the last number was. So I always have somebody with me. So I turn. So that's what basically the notepad is to have somebody say like, I totally agree with Sam though, that it it does make no sense that he can't basically say, you know, uh, Sam Griswold, number seven, yellow card, and it just gets put into a system. But I do like the quaintness of the notebook. I must say that it's a very quaint. (laughs) Sam's gotten, uh, you know, he gets stuck on a tackle and you know, you look and say, well, you know, Okay, he's already been re- yellow carded. This could would be a red card. You know how that influences referees. Yeah, but, 
But he but could even point. Really he could happen. even point at the guy, and the guys up in the booth could, you know, they could have a communications thing where he's just pointing at Sam. I, I mean, if I was watching a game and someone had been yellow carded, and the ref took out a yellow card and then noticed the guy's name on the back and then put it back in, I would be furious. I mean, or pulled out a red. I mean, yeah, I guess. I look, know. if you're coaching the technology, they don't have VAR at the lower level. So as you're coming up, youth soccer, high school, college, uh, the end of the pros you have a certain way of doing things and then you get to the pros and it's all technology. So, all right. So guys, I want to talk about the U S men's national team. Uh, Sam, you did not watch the game sacrilegious. Um, but, uh, but Grail, what are your thoughts? It was seven zip. I had mixed emotions. Yeah. Was, I, first of all, I just want to say I felt bad for TNT because those guys have been in basically lockdown. They, their domestic league has not been playing. They have not played at all. They looked unfit and out of shape i felt bad for them no that's because look i've been on both sides of that ball and it's it's not fun when you're just totally outclassed and people are fit and they're playing they're in the middle of the season a lot of them um so it was sort of sort of like playing a it was men against boys is what it was i mean it was just um though they were though the men were on tnt but you know our guys were all younger but they just just started it just started early and it was just like you know four nil at halftime and again it's just hard it's hard for me. I mean, it's, it's great on one hand because you're like, Oh, we scored a lot of goals and uh, you know, certain players stepped up. Uh, Jesus Ferreira looked really good, you know, blah, blah, blah. But we were missing like probably four or five of the, the guys that are going to end up starting for our team. And we still, we, we still beat or seven, whatever it was. Yeah. We still beat them seven nil. So I don't even know what the takeaway is. We beat them seven nil with a very, with like our B team essentially. So I don't even know. I mean, it's a good feeling that you scored a lot of goals and stuff, but I don't know what the overall takeaways would be. I'm not suddenly yeah. going, Oh my God, the team's amazing. You're just trying to look at players who you were not that familiar with yeah. and try to familiarize yourself with them and, and see how they might, uh, you know, play in now that the keeper, I like the way he moved. He played pretty well with his feet, made a great yeah. stop on a penalty kick. He just, he just looks like a, a good athlete, pretty yeah. rangy. Uh, so he's someone to keep an eye on. Well, you know, uh, I thought this kid, Sam Vine, started well in the back. Uh, he was sort of dangerous coming out of the back. I mean, and then that's the left back position. That's that's open if Dest plays on the right. Uh, yeah, I mean, and Ferreira, I, I, they had playing in, in the number nine, and he had two goals and three assists. So by any measure, you'd be like, my God, is that the guy? But it, but again, you're playing against such inferior competition, it's really hard yeah, it's tough to, to gauge. Right. You know, you have to kind of almost grade it on a curve in a way, right? Yeah, you know, who I was surprised to see again, because I had basically forgotten about him. And he was part of the, I mean, he was a big part of the national team a few years back, and that was Kellen Acosta. So I I tried to do a little digging around to see what the story was. If he's, you know, why did he drop out of any sort of prominent role in the national team? I mean, he was barely getting a look, I think, for two and a half years I was trying to find out if he was a, sort of a, a little bit of a head case because I liked the way he played. Yeah, he he played well enough, uh, and he was involved in some of the um, the the goals and the setups. But he was as wasn't as impactful as he had been when I had seen him play previously for the um, for the U.S. Men's National Team. Yeah, and I and I don't want to be the guy who's throwing a wet blanket over it because it was seven nil. But again, you know, from a from a player's perspective, when you look at that, you're just, you're looking at, you're sizing up the competition saying, what did we learn? I'm not sure what we learned. Did, no, did I, you? Think I just said it. You just, you know, you just repeated yourself because I said, it's basically you're watching young guys you're not familiar with and you're trying to yeah. familiarize yourself with them. So I think um, a couple of guys did quite well. We're, uh, well, a lot of guys did well, but I, I liked Jonathan Lewis and yeah, and Lewis was Ariola, yeah, and Ariola on the other yeah. side. I thought they were, uh, you know, played positive, were dangerous, went forward. It uh, it was it was good to watch. So um, you know, a few players they seemed like they got a shot. Christian Roldan was in there, and um, you know, I think a few players, you know, a lot of them on the cusp. I think of trying yeah, to make- and, and and how do they fit in with the. The, the let's call it the dream team when you add the guys that weren't in there the Polisics and the McKennies and all of those guys then what's really left like how do they fit in around them because they're in the nucleus but let's be honest these are good problems to have and yeah and, uh, Trinidad Tobago was the team that just uh, it broke our hearts we broke them I I uh you know I have a special affinity for that country I, I love uh 
you know, I have a lot of friends from there and they're just a great war. Great people. So I want them to succeed because they love yeah. this game. And, uh, you know, they don't have the money, the infrastructure, and, and they they were having a tough time dealing with the quarantine as well. So yeah. I did feel bad for those guys because some of them I play did. MLS yeah. and, um, and they were unfit and it was just kind of a little embarrassing, but again, we needed to sort of look at some players. Now, some other players who weren't there, as you mentioned, Polistic and Tyler Adams and uh, Weston McKinney, uh, Timothy Weah, Sam, we'll bring you back in here now that we're, uh, we're going to go overseas. Yeah, this <laughs> is what I was in. doing while you guys were watching. I was researching these other guys. Hey, by the way, in the top of the show, I called you an aficionado. Is that an Italian word? Um, no, Spanish. I, think, I think it's Spanish. Aficionado. Yeah. So, um, all right. So Timothy Weah scored for Lille. He's been sort of dormant. I haven't really heard much of him lately yeah he, he hasn't been playing a ton this is uh only his fourth start this season but he does have three goals in those four games so that's obviously a pretty good scoring record um and what also stands out to me here is that Lille are actually in first place in league uh or league Un, um and that's a, a surprise i mean what's even more surprising is psg are in third behind leon in second so there's a decent little title race going on there um but yeah aside from the goal just a, a cool story all around and, and you know one of several u.s players that are really making an impact as we continue to talk about um but it just seems to be happening you know more and more um soccer america had a couple articles this week highlighting just how well guys have been doing we had even more guys moving over during this transfer window and uh yeah it's pretty pretty wild pretty crazy to see yeah i mean it's not it, no, I was just going to say, at some point, Sam, we may not even be talking this way. Sooner rather than later, it's going to be more of the norm versus the exception. Well, I wonder right? if we are. Yeah, I mean, this this is sort of the wrap-up article, right? Yeah. It was in Soccer America, so that's why we're talking about it. But you're right, it's yeah. become so normal. It's not... Um, right. We're going to hit critical mass with that as well, because it used to be like Harks was over there or yeah. Dempsey was over there. We had yeah. just one or two people to talk about it, and now it's a lot of guys. And so what's going to happen is each one will have their own experience and who will rise to the top, but at least mm -hmm. we'll, uh, and then we'll start to see who they are maybe. And not just, not just the fact that they're going overseas to play would be it yeah. at this, but this Matthew Hoppy, he signed at uh, Schalke, which I thought through the 2023 season, he was actually playing as an amateur until then. Did you I guys was, know that? I was stunned. Yeah. I, <laughs> I just presume anybody who goes over there to play is on a professional contract. Um, I, you know, the, I, the whole idea of like amateur is so foreign to all of us now in this day and age, right? Everybody gets paid once they go join a professional team in my mind. So yeah, that was, that was very interesting, but good for right. him. So it looks like there's about 34 players on clubs in the top 10 leagues across Europe and 17 of those players are under 21 years old. So this will be, that'll be interesting to talk to Skip Gilbert about uh, at the U S youth soccer. So um, we're they're they're producing some players that they're, they're, oh, they're yeah. moving up. Brian yeah. Reynolds uh, projected to be on the bench this weekend for Roma. Talk about that a little bit, Sam. Yeah. So I talked about his move to Roma last week. I don't think it had been finalized yet, but it now has. So he's joined the team um, and he's supposed to be on the bench this weekend for the game against Juve. I, I don't think he'll get in. I think that's a bit of a stretch, um, mm -hmm. but it would be pretty cool to see him going up against uh, fellow FC Dallas alum Weston McKenney in that one. Um, to go back a little bit to the to the players abroad, what what I am really impressed by is not so much the number, but I I'm very happy to see players doing well in leagues that they traditionally have not done well in. Uh, American players, you know, mm -hmm. guys going to play in England and Germany seemed like sort of a natural fit because that's kind of what the typical american player was like uh, i think this is a really exciting move for reynolds to be going to roma obviously the mckinney move is is really cool and i think what these countries that play a more technical game are realizing is that having one or two guys that bring this more physical style maybe uh it can be a real asset and that's to take nothing away from their technical ability i mean mckinney does not look out of place at all at juve from a technical standpoint but i mean his work rate and his um yeah you know ability off the ball to cover ground really mm -hmm. stand out and um so i, I think that's really cool to see Look, we're, we're a creative entrepreneurial nation. And I think eventually when we find an American way of playing, it will be, I think, a combination of, yes, that that athleticism with the creativity and can combine them and uh, and then then watch out. <laughs> we'll, yeah. Yeah, we'll be there. So. Well, and, and, and any team can uh, can benefit from a worker. 
right? I mean, in my mind, every team needs that player who's the industrious guy, usually in the midfield, who does kind of the dirty work. I mean, Henderson is a little bit that guy in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. It's Naskins to your, to, to uh, Christ. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, uh, and, and I, I agree with you, Sam. I think the Americans in a lot of cases kind of, kind of fit that role. Mm-hmm. Hey, Sam, let, let me ask you this. Uh, reading that article about Mussolini's great, great grandson. You would, I guess, you know, El Duce. Uh, I, El Duce. El Duce. I guess the, uh, I don't he made know. Spanish. I think people would be denying that they were related to him, but apparently not. It's like saying, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm Hitler's grandson. How's it going?" Yeah, well, what you? if your last what? name's Mussolini? That'd be a showstopper. Be like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa. who's your grandfather? Your great grandfather?" So, what's the story with this kid? He's going to Lazio. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, he's 19 years old. He's the great grandson of Mussolini, and uh, he's just joined the Lazio U19 <laughs> team. Um, I mean, I think any professional contract or if it is a professional contract that this kid was signing would draw a lot of attention. Lazio kind of takes it to a new level because they've traditionally had, you know, their ultra kind of psycho fan groups have had ties to the to the far right and to fascist leanings. So uh, it's it stands out for that reason, too. But um, I I don't know. Makes sense, though, you know, politically and sports, they combine uh, if they think it's useful for their fan base. Yikes. Uh, and that, that's not to say that's, you know, Lazio's entire identity. That's just these some of their extreme fan groups. But, you know, right, well, it's, hard, it's hard not to make the connection. That's something to watch out for. And you want to see if the guy can actually play or if it's some sort of publicity stunt, you know, to try and uh, fire up the ultras or something. I don't know. Uh, we'll keep well, I, I don't I, yeah I don't think that would be the case and the kid is himself has said like he doesn't care at all about politics he just wants to play soccer so you know. uh, which is which is a 19 year old exactly and it's the way yeah. it should be um yeah. so let's talk about this Sam you sent another article about uh the Alex Clapham uh in the Guardian wrote about the whole licensing process uh with Spain as opposed to England and England with this sort of closed boys club that they have uh they they charge a lot of money it's a money-making scheme not not so much coaching yeah i I found this article really interesting it's by this guy named alex clapham who was trying to get licensed to be a top uh get like an a level or a pro level uefa license in the uk um but was basically just unable to because he couldn't get himself a spot in the program to start with um and because of the prohibitive nature of the cost uh, so he decided to go to Spain, where they're far more open uh, in terms of letting people in. It's uh, much more accessible and it costs a lot less. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a cool story. I mean, just some, some of the points he points out, he says in, in 2017, Spain had 15,000, uh, more than 15,000 coaches with a UEFA Pro or UEFA A license, uh, whereas in the UK, it was under 2,000, 1,796. Uh, the, the Spanish A license in Spain costs 960 pounds. The pro license costs just over a thousand pounds. Uh, in England, the A license is 3,645 pounds wow. and 9,890 pounds. So basically a thousand pounds wow. for the pro license, uh, if you can get into the program. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think we could all agree that the Spanish influence on the game recently has, you know, maybe Open up there with Germany been the mm-hmm. most influential in terms of the players they've sent to play places, the coaches they've sent places. Yeah. But it, to me, it just says that, you know, if you, you allow these coaching courses to be accessible to more people, uh, yeah. the better off you're going to be. It, it empties so. into either a Pep Guardiola or Sam Mallardice. That's, that's basically <laughs> what you got. So basically, um, I think these programs should be rigorous, difficult to get through, but affordable for yeah. everybody. You know, yeah. where it should not be money, even about, you know, playing here in the States. It's one of the things we've sort of confronted. One other thing, Sam, I, I read a little bit about. Uh, yeah, so wait, I have a mini quiz uh, for you guys here. This isn't the full quiz. I've worked harder okay. than that. Um, but I'm wondering if you guys can tell me what uh, what you think the, the prices are in the United States for these courses. So for a U.S. soccer pro license, what do you think you have to pay? I'm going I'm to say I'm going to say a thousand I'm going to say a thousand dollars for the pro license. Okay, fifty. It's ten thousand. Uh, Whoa! For the for the U.S. Soccer A course, what do you think? I mean, these are the top qualifications. And how long does it take to qualify for the A license? Uh, you have to go through a lot of process. Wait, wait. So uh, the pro the pro was ten thousand. You said Sam. Pro course was ten thousand. Yeah. Okay. And okay. What so do you think the A license costs? I'm going to say five. Five. Kevin? Pro. 
3,500. Okay. It's 4,000. So it's right. pretty comparable actually to how it is yeah. in the UK. Um, and wow. I checked the price in Italy and it's similar too. So it's not just that the UK uh, is really expensive, but um, more that Spain has sort of found a way Makes to it make more it affordable. affordable. Good yeah. for them. Yeah. Well, that sounds, that's, that's, that's interesting. I mean, that surprises me. All right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, La Liga. Barca defeats Athletic two to one. Uh, with goals by Messi and Griezmann. I mean, Griezmann's playing well, huh? People uh, say he's really doing it, showing some signs of life. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're just – I just feel like uh, Barca just has this cloud hanging over them. You oh, know, it, it's it, not the Barca we no, knew. No, no, but it's also one step up, two steps back, and if they win a game, everybody's like, maybe Barca's back, and then they'll go out and kind of lay an egg, and, you know, the whole Messi situation is is hanging over them. And, and they're 10 points behind – Atletico. I mean, both they and Real Madrid are uh, are way behind. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's they're going to have to do something amazing over the ne- the next fifteen games to turn this thing around. Yeah, so, so Barcelona, yeah, is uh, struggling a little bit, um, and Liverpool struggling a bit. You you say they're they're not going to finish in the top four. Well, yeah, I'm not. I'm first of all, I'm not. I'm not writing the, their obituary. I'm just saying that. All of the signs going back, I think, even two months um, have not been good. And their inability to score consistently with those three guys that they have up top is is just really problematic. And, and on top of that, Man City, you know, 13 straight wins, unbeaten in their last oh, they're 20. The team to beat right now. Well, 13 clean sheets. The, the whole yeah. difference for them has been the back. And right yeah. now their back is arguably as solid as Liverpool's back was used to be last season. And it, you know, it all, it all comes from the back. And I, again, I just think, um, I just think it's, it's a struggle for them. They could be top four. I just, I just don't think they're going to win the league. Well, you've been talking about uh, keeping an eye on Leicester the entire season and yeah. uh, big win over Southampton. I mean, my God, it was like the U S national teams win it was nine zip. Well, that was man United. Yeah, oh, I mean Man United, sorry. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, Man United it just absolutely demolished them 9-0. Leicester, the reason you were confused is a couple seasons ago, Leicester had beaten Southampton 9-0. Right. So and, so, the ama- so the amazing thing is that, uh, you know, Ralph Hassenhutl, one of the great names in coaching, by the way, Hassenhutl, um, has been on the receiving end of two 9-0 defeats in his Southampton managing career so uh yeah i mean it's just i gotta ask you guys this because this was one of the most stunning things i've ever seen in the second minute a southampton player a young guy getting his first shot did a tackle that was so brutal i mean he's he's so lucky the the um i'm I'm just blanking on the man united's player uh, that he tackled but in, at the two-minute mark, he got red-carded. And I was going to ask you guys, since you're ex-players too, I don't even know if I remember fouling a guy in the first two minutes, let alone doing a tackle that got me red-carded. I mean, it's almost hard in two minutes to have meaningful contact with anybody. Well, look, you can score a goal in the first opening seconds. You get, A tackle could happen. And I think, of course, young, of course. I think a young guy like that, obviously, I, I'm surprised at that level with the amount of training those guys go through, that he was that excited yeah. to the beginning of the game, like where you say, like, well, let me just get stuck in here and get going. Um, it was like a bull, you know, in the bull riders where they let the bull out. This uh, guy, They let this guy out, and he went over and tackled the guy above, on his thigh. With, yeah. with studs up, that was it. So Southampton immediately, two minutes into the match, a guy down. I mean, can Red you just card. imagine how I mean, deflating that would be? How defeating that is for your teammates and also how embarrassing that is personally. That's just that's And then a second horrible. guy got sent off in the 85th minute or something So that explains like that. the high score. So they uh, they all had a reason. Um, it's kind of like, you know, the national team where they you get a goal so early, everybody just sort of folds. I did agree with the commentators, though, that at some point you have to determine – Okay, we're going to lose, but do we want to really park the bus and maybe not lose by more than four nil on just the straight pride? And Southampton didn't do that. I mean, they kept just, attacking. They didn't keep attacking. They just didn't. They didn't Nine like men. hunker down and mark and just out of pride. I mean, I'd like to think right. that you guys, I would be this way. It's really like there's no way in the world I'm going to give up another goal, and it just it was just unbelievable. 
Um, Grail, talk a little bit about the article by Paul Gardner um, with EPL managers. Yeah, well, really he was, I mean, you know, Paul can be uh, curmudgeonly sometimes he and, uh, and, and, and understatement. And uh, yes. the, the article was really about, um, it was his perspective on the, the whole uh, inter-Miami coaching situation. Right. And the fact that Neville got the job and, you know, he's, he knows uh, Beck, Beckham. So, I mean, you can call it nepotism. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but they denied it so defensively. And, and he's like, you know, let's just look at Neville's track record. And he kind of went point by point on where he's been an assistant coach, head coach, you know, the coach of women's England national team he coached in Spain. For and like he's a- just like, he's just like, Neville's just not a good coach. Yeah. He goes, so for them to say he was the man for the job, I, th- I think also Gardner's thing was, you're in Miami. Why don't you look at some H- Hispanic candidates, given the market you're in, and uh, instead of just knee-jerk having Beckham go to his mate from Man United? That ain't right. Well, that ain't happening. I think it's yeah. tough enough getting American coaches to to take a look at the Hispanic players. And Gardner's always been on, you know, hammering that yes. point home. But I yeah. say that too. Uh, I think they come here for the glamour of the cities. Sometimes I don't think Neville's going to coach in Cincinnati. He's coaching in Miami. That's, you know, he's going to be digging that lifestyle. The English love that stuff. Rodney Marsh is down there. All those guys, they just kind of hung out out down there for a long time. And, and yeah, I'm kind of annoyed uh, about it because it, look, and we always talk about it. The best coaches in the premier league are not English. It's just yeah. a fact. So it's sort of, I mean, and you are allowed to, I mean, there's nothing wrong. It, familiarity is very normal. And if you want to hire somebody that you played with, you know, totally fine, but just don't deny that. And then don't say he was the best guy for the job when his resume says otherwise. Otherwise. Well, right. how much does there, I mean, this makes me think about, you know, how much the resume really matters anymore. I mean, you know, when you see like Frank Lampard getting hired at Chelsea, Pirlo at Juventus had never even coached a game before, like a top right. level game. I well, mean, Lampard the manager almost, Darby. yeah. Okay. I'm talking about, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one year at Derby, I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's more about their, you know, character and charisma and the sort of the face that they give the organization. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but yes, yeah. it's clearly how clubs seem to be leaning. Well, you know, they, so they do that. And then Bob Bradley, who has the, the, the game experience. I mean, he, he coached at college. He, he played in college. He coached, you know, in the pros, he coached the national team. He coached the Egyptian national team. He goes to England and they act like he's a neophyte. It's absurd. Yeah. It's absurd. And then they just will hire Sam Allardyce again. It just, it just drives me crazy. It's just, uh, they, they, you, they got to look in the mirror there. So, all right, yeah. I'm getting, I'll get off of my English thing. So guys, all right. So this will be interesting to talk, uh, cause this all ties into our guest, mm. um, Skip Gilbert. So, uh, when we come back on over the ball, we talk to the U S youth soccer's CEO, Skip Gilbert. So stick around. Over the ball is brought to you by soccer America. Go to socceramerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com, and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, our guest today on Over the Ball is not only CEO of U.S. Youth Soccer, uh, he's a friend of the show, um, you know, and I'm not going to go through his whole resume again like I did the first time he was on the show because we only have, I know, we try to keep these podcasts under an hour, so uh, he would uh, we'd take up our whole allotted amount of time if we read his whole thing, but I'll put it this way, he's played at every level uh, as a player, he was an All-American at the University of Vermont where he majored in cow tipping, but uh, he also... And he graduated top of his class, but uh, he was also, before taking this job, he was uh, the managing director of the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. So we welcome back to Over the Ball, Mr. Skip Gilbert. Skip, how are you? I'm good, Kevin. I can't complain. How about yourself? Good. So you've done so well with that cow tipping degree that you had up there in Vermont. You know, there is a cow that I drive by that I don't park the car, try to run out and see if I can get the best of them. So you're, you're an All-American at the University of Vermont. We played against each other a couple of times. You probably don't remember me, but um, must have been beautiful. Great for a, a goalkeeper up there in Vermont because you've got mud season pretty much, you know, uh, it's six months a year. And the keepers love their mud, man. Uh, they, they don't get as dirty as they used to, Skip, don't they? 
Well, no, and, and this, this, it's a soft landing, you know, when you, yeah. when you dive and, and you're full out and you hit the mud, you slide a little bit as opposed to, you know, it's a good thing we never played on AstroTurf or any, you know, the concrete jungles that we fly on now. Uh, they, well, the AstroTurf's gotten better, but I remember Boston College, Boston University had AstroTurf and it was that crowned AstroTurf where if somebody was on one sideline, you couldn't see the person on the other sideline. It was, and uh and it was just like, it was like concrete that was painted green. It was terrible. So anyway, you take over this job, boom, quarantine hits. And I mean, you know, what a nightmare for the, the country, for the world, really. But how has it affected your job? And I mean, because I'm sure you came in with a plan and things you wanted to implement and things you wanted to do. And all of a sudden something like this happens and it just blows up all your plans. What, what, what's been the, the journey for you? Yeah, it, it has been interesting. And obviously, you know, our hearts go out to everybody that's really been impacted by the virus. And, you know, we all just hope that this thing gets back to some level of normalcy as, as fast as possible. I think the good news is we're starting to see it, but it, we're not quite there yet. But yeah, the impact on us, we had to cancel all of our national championships, the President's Cup, the regional championships, a lot of state cups, states got shut down, counties got shut down. I mean, it, it was a mess. So a big component of what we had to do last year was literally manage the expectations of kind of the USYS family. You know, how in some states, if, if kids can play, how do you manage the expectations of the parents to be able to say, okay, my kid is going to be able to go out there and come home safely, you know? And so in some right. states, you couldn't play California where you are. I mean, we haven't played in, in probably since March. And so how do you manage the expectations of kids who are getting up into their, you know, kind of junior years of, of high school going, if I can't play, how am I going to be able to showcase my talents to collegiate coaches? So I have a place to go in a couple of years. So, you know, when you, when you put all of that together, the, the kind of the managing the crisis was absolutely a, a pivotal moment. The other part of it, and I guess perhaps the silver lining was part of my charge with our team here was let's look at every asset within our portfolio, evaluate it and analyze it under the auspices that if we were building US youth soccer for tomorrow's player today, what would those programs look like right now? And if what we're doing is exactly what we would prescribe going forward, if they weren't, modify it. And if they had no relevance to today's player, just get rid of it. So we were able to really take some of the times that, you know, most of the, where our, our staff is out getting ready for the national championships, or they're just out and about doing everything that they normally do. We were able to really look inside, look in the mirror and say, let's come out of this thing, bigger, better, stronger. You know, it's that, that Olympic ideal. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it seems like you're trying to make lemons that eliminate a little bit like take advantage of this downtime to just sort of reassess and I think sometimes you're so busy during the course of the year just running things that you don't have a chance to look look at everything I mean what's so heartbreaking uh to think about is look we're older and the years go by pretty fast now but those kids that sophomore junior year they've been playing soccer for 10 years it's it's just heartbreaking because between my junior and senior, that was that's a long time for kids. And it's so impactful, not just sports, but their proms and their graduations and things. So, and then you're talking about managing expectations of the parents. That's difficult even in the best of circumstances, and never mind uh, during the quarantine. So um, guys, what, did uh, Grail, do you want to jump in? Yeah, uh, Skip, thanks for joining us as always. Um, it's It seemed from the outset, like a lot of what you were doing and in terms of communication was almost like public service and just kind of reiterating over and over again to players, coaches, parents, you know, types of behavior, trying to model types of behavior. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Because again, that wouldn't have even been part of what you would have been thinking of remotely going into that job, but here you are thrust into it and it's almost got to be kind of like damage control in a way. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, one of my, I guess the strategic um, platform that I walked into the interviewing uh, with the board of USYS was dream big, think bigger. And so taking that into the pandemic, it is, you know, we are a community of players. Now, unfortunately, youth soccer is really fragmented and we have a lot of different lanes. But as we move forward, you know, we kind of realize we need to make sure that, you know, what's good for us 
still has to work for the other sanctioning bodies. And if we're providing a lot of information as to how to weather the storm, how to monitor your mental wellness, you know, how to handle, you know, your muscular skeletal wellness, if you will, because, you know, if you're a, if you're a premier player and suddenly you're shut down for eight months and you get the yeah. green light, you can't expect to go from zero to 60 and your body kind of look at you. And even if you're 16, 17, 18 to go, Whoa, wait a minute. You know, that's a lot of kind of expectations that we do have to manage. And we want to be able to provide as much resources as we can so that anybody within the USYS family, and, and quite frankly, anybody within the soccer community within the United States can take what we have and say, okay, you know, if this helps me, you know, then we're doing our job. Sam. Yeah, Skip, I may have asked you this last time, but there's been sort of a push, it seems, on various levels of U.S. soccer to make things more regional and not have people, you know, flying across the country for tournaments. Um, and I just wonder how the pandemic has maybe accelerated that and what it may look like going forward. It, it certainly, I think, has helped. You know, I, I think when you look at um, the impact it's had on families, the fact that families now have seven nights in a row where they're sitting at the dinner table, they're able to converse, they're able to come together, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, whatever yeah. that, that close proximity is going to do, it gives you a sense of what family means, you know, and, and I use this all the time, USYS family. And, and so part of my charge coming in was we need to simplify it. We need to really get back to what's important and what's important for a player is different today than what's important to an administrator. And we see this all the time in the sense that, you know, soccer, youth sport in general is big business. And, and you know, and it is a, you know, multi-million dollar industry. Um, and so, therefore, sometimes you need to have that organization that's going to say, look, we've got to look at what's in the best interest of the player. We're not here, you know, USYS, we've been doing this now for 47 years. We're not out to make money. We could, you know, sure, we need to cover our expenses. We need to make sure that we have the infrastructure in place financially to be able to do what we do, but we're not in a profit motive. So we're doing everything for the benefit of the kids to make sure that their pathways are, you know, moving forward. To, so you, to your point specifically, you know, it makes no sense for if you're in a local market, and I'll use this as a great example. I was talking to coaches down in, you know, northern Georgia. You know, they had a league match before COVID against someone in South Carolina. They had to fly to Tampa to be able to play a league match. And you think they could have driven 45 minutes each, played in a community field and been done and been home. So I think you're going to see a little bit more of that geocentric, um, you know, and to be able to still have your national overlay, but let's make sure we at least tap into the competitive environment within your geographic boundaries. And you brought up an interesting point with people sitting down eating with their families and getting back together. And, you know, one of the movements that a lot of the, the college guys we know, the coaches, uh, Dave Mazur, you know, Mike Noonan, they were talking about trying to encourage more unstructured play. Do you think there's a way for U.S. youth soccer to sort of say, look, you know, here's where you play in, in an unstructured way. We encourage that during the week with your brothers, your sisters in your backyard like we did growing up. Um, and then come and step into our program. See, I mean, I think a lot of these kids should learn how to juggle and dribble and, uh, you know, on their own in the back. And then when they show up for the coaching, you know, they're ready. Have you seen um, more of that, more unstructured play in this quarantine time? I'd like to say yes. I, I mean, we haven't seen any data that's saying that there is, but there should be. You yeah. Know, and again, at, at the coaches convention last year, just after I started, I ran into a group and that's the nice thing of actually being able to walk the halls is you, you run into people that you don't normally would see on a Zoom, but uh, they have an unstructured play environment up in Minneapolis. You know, and it's really more for the underprivileged, those that just can't afford to spend thousands of dollars to get into the premier system. And it's basically the, the it's a, a clubhouse. They can come on in, they can play, they can do what they want. They referee themselves, they police themselves, they coach themselves. That's great. They just had their first D1 scholarship athlete come out of the, the full program. So it's, you know, and I think I've seen uh, someone from California sent me some information about, you know, short-sighted play up until a certain age. And there right. is something to be said for that, you know, yeah. and I do think that we need to, to make sure that, yes, you need the structure, 
but you know, being able to pick and choose and kind of do what you will can can influence creativity. It can influence decision making. It can influence character building. You know, I mean, it's all of those things that, you know, if you have a parent that is constantly saying, pick your fork up, now you can put it in your mouth, now you can put it on the plate. You know, what what's that doing if that's what your environment of play is looking like? Right. Well, Grail eats with his fingers, so that's all lost on him. <laughs> Grail, you got something? Fingers, yeah. hands up behind the back, kind of going. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm graduating towards cutlery at some point. Um, so, 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 Skip, the uh, you recently announced the launch of the Champions Cup, which I think is coming in 2022, right, due to COVID. I, I'd love to just... Uh, hear about that you know what makes it unique what is it going to be a foundation moving forward just uh, some background would be great sure well again when i started i sat down with all the members of our staff and i think i was in a meeting with one of our guys aaron heffernan who you know we were talking about the national championships and sort of the the competitive environment and i i'm a big fan of little league world series i said why don't we have the little league world series for soccer and of course, then I then I was educated on well, you've got the different sanctioning bodies and no, you know, you, you know, it's lanes and it's cannibalism and all that sort of stuff. And I kept kind of going back to that. And finally it came to the point where again, we're we're in our lane, but we want to be inclusive to let everybody do what they have to do on the field of play. And everybody, you know, the marketing arm of any club is we're the best. We're going to get your kids into a D1 environment. Your kid's going to be on the national team. Uh, you know, that's the sales pitch. Well, you know what? We need to have an environment where the sales pitch is what you do on the field. It doesn't matter who says they're the best. Let's put the best of the best out there and let them play against each other. So, you know, the national champions from, from USYS against ECNL or, you know, you know, USSA, you know, whoever has national championship caliber teams, bring them in. And then if we can do the same and, and attract countries that have age group national championships, let's bring them in and let's let the kids decide who truly has the best age group team going. And, you know, so again, it's, it's a small idea. It's not going to be a huge tournament, um, but it, allows you know kind of the best to best to come together forget your you know who your alliances are to forget what lanes you drive in yeah put the best on the field that sounds like a great awesome. idea i mean that's something i mean we are built for that here in the states infrastructure wise to to host all these uh, other countries didn't wasn't there something called the mcguire cup years because i played in that yeah. and i don't yeah, know the mcguire it's... cup is really our national championships right um, yeah, but for club I, I teams, right? Years and years ago. And that, you know, and as a matter of fact, the Maguire Cup trophy is what we give one of our age group um, clubs that win the national championship. And the Maguire Cup has been around since, gosh, I think 1936, 37. Yeah, that's that's, that's when, when that's when Flinny first played in it. Oh, hey, yeah, well, I got to do it. <laughs> so no, I think I played I played in the finals. I think it used to be in Omaha every year or something. Um, but but, you know, it was it was great club teams that came around and and uh, it's kind of seems to be what you were talking about. I mean, here, you know, your office is in Dallas and we were talking about the national team at the top of the program and a lot of the players that are playing overseas. Uh, you're right in the, the 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 heart of things. There's a lot of great youth development right there. Have you been able to sort of uh, use that as a juggernaut to sort of say, look, it's successful here. This is what they're doing right. We should do this more nationally. Anything like that? Yeah. And again, you get those pockets all around the country, you know, and, and we have fifth now 55 state associations you know, the boots on the grounds all looking to see, you know, who's going to be the next. And from right. that perspective, you know, yeah, FC Dallas has done a wonderful job, but we're seeing that again, all around the country. And our job is to, hey, you know, if, if there's a great player out there, they came through USYS, you know, sure, let's celebrate. You know what I, I find so interesting is that these young kids, they're trying to identify these players for college scholarships and things so early. I don't know, it's such a guessing game. Um, you think about, kids are getting, you know, offers, what, sophomore year in high school. And you think about how we all developed as players later and how you take a chance on someone who's that young. And then it almost takes away the incentive to keep working hard sometimes. So there's, there's a lot to consider, you know, and then you said you have the parents' expectations, you have the players' expectations. So um, Sam? Yeah, um, Skip, I'm curious how much coaching education um, comes under your purview and how, how that's kind of handled. 
at the youth soccer level? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, again, most of the most of the coaching education, you know, we've got great partners with United Soccer Coaches. You know, Lynn Burling Manuel does a does an outstanding job putting all of the curriculum together. U.S. Soccer at the same way. They've got their they've got their licenses. If you want to be an A, B, C licensed coach, you got to go through their curriculum. I think from our perspective, where U.S. Youth Soccer at one point had a youth, um, it was a, a youth license that was said to be one of the best around. And it got kind of pulled into U.S. soccer at, at the time years ago. We're trying to get back into that. And so, again, our perspective is it's not so much the higher level coaches. It's more, at least, again, from my purview, we've got millions of kids that are playing that really just want to play for the fun of it. Right. And we changed our vision last, uh, probably the first quarter after I got here, to be bringing communities together through the power of soccer to make lifelong fans of the game. And the idea of that is we want to keep kids in the sport as long as possible so that they're playing. And so maybe they play club soccer. Um, they graduate, they become refs or they become coaches or, you know, if they have kids, their kids play soccer. And so the way to do that is to ensure that their experience, the minute they step on the field to play for the first time, is educational, beneficial, and fun. And so a lot of the coaches that come in are volunteers, their parents that, you know, someone said, hey, if they're going to play, we need a coach and coach, I'll do it. Um, but they have never played the game themselves. And right. so we need to be able to offer resources so that those coaches can just come and get a quick one minute bat by soundbite. We're launching next month, USYS University. Um, most of it's holistic. Most of it is on the off-field beneficial um, benefits, but one component is Mojo. And you know, it's a bunch of Disney guys that came together, partnered with um, LAFC, and are putting together some incredible one-minute coaching vignettes that anybody would be able to take, grasp, and then you know, kind of transfer it to you know, the group of seven, eight-year-olds that they've got running around. So the coaching education piece is going to be is going to be big for us. That sounds great because I think a lot of those coaching videos that we all sat through as uh, as young players was like the English guy, clear the ball, long, wide, and far. Like, all right, that, there goes 15 minutes. Listen to that <laughs> sentence. <laughs> so uh, how is the partnership uh, working out with MLS? You know, the partnership is great. Um, there's a, still a lot of work to do. And right now we're working with them. You know, they've got their first tier and then we've got their second tier and the build out of what that second tier of clubs looks like. We're right now putting all of that pen to paper and trying to see how we can kind of best support them to make that as part of their model. Yeah, you know, it seems like you would even be even more effective uh, as you're feeding players into the college ranks, um, you know, a lot more bigger numbers, you know, because MLS, those are the elite players that come up through and people identify them pretty early, but sort of in the mandate, what you're talking about is sort of widening the birth of soccer fans and knowledgeable soccer people coming from the ground up and then supporting the game all the way through their lives. Um, have you been in contact with the NCAA or anything? Have they asked you for advice with this split season or any of that? Yeah, NCAA, most likely they're talking with a lot of our technical directors, you know, and mm. the, the, the folks that are kind of, again, boots on the ground. Um, I, my conversations more at the high school, the elementary school, Again, not for the varsity kids, but can we take the club model out of the NCAA and bring an intramural type approach into the high schools? Can we do something with PTAs to be able to make the elementary school and give the curriculums to not just the, the coaches, but something for after school? And then when it gets down to the elementary level, you know, I put my Olympic hat on and I put my developmental hat on. I don't want it to be soccer specific. I want it to right. be you know, kids have to be able to to be able to embrace all sorts of different sports so that they can pick which ones they want to align with. I hope they're going to pick soccer, but they need to be able to to play other sports because I think beneficially it's going to benefit. It's going to be better for all kids to have multi-sport in their background so that they're better equipped from a muscular skeletal perspective to handle the needs of soccer. Yeah, you're actually worried about them. That's good. See, this is this is healthy. This is good stuff. Grail. Um, uh, that's yeah. me. Oh, well, sorry. I, 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 yeah, I just had a quick one, Sam. Um, 
To that point, Skip, you know, back in the day, the Jurassic period, when I was uh, in elementary school, in gym, we used to play soccer. You know, it was like part of what you did in gym. In the and States? Again, it, well, yeah, it just it just feels like we've gotten so, you know, just we could have a separate conversation about exercise in general, but is there an opportunity to kind of get people soccer on the radar of people just more broadly that's more about actual exercise and less about just the competition side of it yeah and that's a great point grail again getting that curriculum into the schools um, so that the coaches can do some things with it that's we've we have a pilot program in the carolinas that's doing just that and we're gonna we're gonna kind of expand on that we're in discussions uh, you know, candidly with, you know, the, the U.S. Soccer Foundation, you know, can we work together in a closer partnership to be able to get, you use the strength of both organizations to get more kids playing the sport. Um, That's you know, great. Again, it's, it's all getting the curriculum into the hands of the PE teachers or those that might want to create after school programming so that it's turnkey. You know, that's the element. If they have to really think about it, if they have to sit and design the lesson plans for the day, it's going to be a lot harder if they just have to look at their phone and go, oh, A, B, C, D, we're done. Here we go. I think I think it's happening. It, it seems to be hitting a little bit of critical mass here because, you know, people are watching the Premier League at such high levels. They're starting to familiarize themselves with high levels of soccer. They're enjoying it. You mentioned club sports. They're growing on the college level. I, I went up uh, to UConn and watched them play a couple of years back in uh, with Ray Reed was there, had invited me up, and I watched the club team from UConn play, and they were it was a high level. It was it was it was pretty good. And these are all kids who was like well, I couldn't even try out for the team, but I love the game. And like you say, you mentioned Skip, this builds a fan base that people are soccer enthusiasts, and this is going to strengthen all of us uh, as a nation. Um, Sam, you have another question for Skip? Yeah, I we talk a lot on this show, Skip, and you know the sort of general American soccer conversation often seems to revolve around you know which system we're currently following, whether that's the English, the Dutch, the Spanish, etc. And uh, I'm just curious if you've picked up anything from other countries that you think is particularly interesting and maybe unique. I mean, I have no idea, for example, how youth soccer works in most of the rest of the world. Um, not not necessarily to that would it would work here, but just some other interesting ways people approach it. Um, great question, Sam. And actually, no, we haven't. I haven't picked up. I mean, again, I sat through at a, at the coaches conference a presentation from one of the European countries about their youth development plan, and you know all of the intricacies that brought you know them. And and again, it's a very well established and a very successful country. The problem is, is that system is designed for Delaware. That country is the size of Delaware with the right. economic, you know, structure of a state. We're 50 states strong with millions of kids playing. And so the reality is to be able to take that and make it into our system, we would need millions of dollars of injection from the U.S. government in order to be able to fund what the European countries are able to do because of the club structure injection of cash. We don't have that here. So we need to, you know, we can take that philosophically, but we really need to be able to build it organically for the United States, almost in an American style, because we're just simply so big. You know, and I would, I, my, my pushback on the individual countries is if Europe was one country, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what would that system look like? And could mm -hmm. they take the, the individual states of that Europe, you know, the countries yeah. and blow it up? I'm not sure they could do that. And I'm not mm -hmm. sure they would be as successful as they are. You right. know, so again, if we took, you know, a, a individual state and put the best 11 on the field, how competitive might they be against some of the European counterparts? Mm -hmm. You know, but we're trying to do it for 50. Huge country. Mm -hmm. we're, we're huge. And I think it's like in something becomes vogue, you know, like everybody was talking about the Iceland model. Remember when that was the hot thing? It was like, you know, yep. it's like, yeah, Iceland is yeah, the they did well Long Euros. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so um, so let me ask you this, guys, all all former players, if you were a little kid and you were going to be dropped into a country right now to learn how to play this this beautiful game that that we love so much, what country would you choose? I usually just 
do these questions to my two knucklehead buddies here, but um, <laughs> I'm going to throw you in this one too, Skip. What, guys, what country would you say, all right, I want to start to learn how to play there because they seem to be the type of player that I'd love to be. Tahiti, would it be? Well, we're going to defer to Skip first since well, he's our guest. Oh, all right, so let's, why don't we, Skip should be the, he's the coup de grace. Skip, Skip's probably on, the, Skip's worried about offending somebody at this point. Another country. <laughs> Not knowing enough about all the other countries, I mean, I, you know, coming through the United States and at least my path, um, I'd take that in a heartbeat. You know, I mean, I, again, it was, you know, for me way back when, uh, you know, I get, having played other sports, it was, you know, it was a great ride, you know, and, and again, yeah. I wouldn't have changed the only, you know, I'm sure I would probably change certain things that I did along the way, but still it was it was a lot of fun and you know it, it will stick with me for the rest of my life there is that feeling of you know you know because we're a bunch of three sport athletes or whatever in high school and and you know you 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 gravitate towards soccer and the college level but there was this it was sort of a golden time i love the fact that soccer was sort of like it wasn't embraced in this country. And so you almost had that skateboarder mentality where like, this is our cool game. I'm meeting people from different countries and, and this, this wild game. Um, and I think some of that is gone. I think, I, I think some of the young ones don't really quite understand, or they certainly don't understand where the game was in the uh, late seventies, early eighties. Mm. So um, I would say, go ahead, Grail. What would you, where would you pick? What country? Well, I'm going to, you know, probably I'm going to go to England, Sam. No, 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 no. Actually, I would just say structurally, I think the, the, uh, Germany, but Germany. just because of their organizational abilities, I feel like they have an ability to just set up systems that are second to none and identify talent and kind of groom it. And that has been, you know, obviously they've been the most successful, arguably probably the most successful international team yeah. over the Skip, years yeah. i mean brazil you could make the argument about brazil but anyway i just think no, i see that they've actually used a lot of american players i mean that was one of the first stops for yeah. a lot of americans so sam where would you pick yeah i would probably say spain i think i don't think any other country has exported players as well as spain has that's kind of a weird brazil word to use, maybe. but yeah I, I i prefer the way the spanish play i like the short passing the technical nature of it mm -hmm. yeah um, i'd agree with you but and they also have the best hair and uh, they, seem to, uh, <laughs> they have the most, hair. Yeah, the most <laughs> hair. yeah, we're we're lucky. We all have hair on this panel. It's very good. You can't Barely. see us in the podcast, but uh, yeah. all right. Well, we'll skip. We appreciate you joining us again on Over the Ball. Anything um, you want to plug or that's coming up? You guys, you have you know, a lot I mean, on your plate. You know, I, again, one of the things that we're we're about to launch. You know, between USYS University, we've got three, four really good cornerstone partners. One's going to be. Um, Mojo for the coaching education. <clears throat> you saw this true sport program for character development. And then two other groups that um, we haven't signed yet, but one will be all about uh, muscular skeletal health and wellness, and the other will be mental health. Um, and that one's going to be critical. And so then the last part is simply our player kind of pipeline. We're trying to simplify the League America concept launches this spring, and that's really for the grassroots player. So any kid that's playing at the recreational level, that's not you know paying thousands of dollars on the complete compete competitive elite side, will play under League America, and it will ultimately be the largest youth soccer league in the world. From there, you go to National League. From National League, you move up to MLS Next and GA, and then from there, wherever you go. But that's going to make it a very simple, very easy to understand soccer ecosystem. So all of those components are coming out, and you'll be seeing lots of information coming out of USYS you know, to support all of that in the future. Good stuff. Skip Gilbert, CEO of United States Youth Soccer, the man with a plan. That sounds great, Skip. Um, we look forward to having you back on the show and talking about the progress of all these initiatives that you've uh, that you've started and uh, that you're following up on and uh, and making the best of what is really a difficult time for for everybody. Skip Gilbert, thanks for joining us. Perfect. Thank you, Kevin, Cam, and Grail. Sam, thank you. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. I love talking to Skip, man. I, you know what? I, I I am filled with hope after I listen to Skip talk because, like yeah. I said, he's a man with a plan and uh, some really great initiatives, some great partnerships to sort of um, take advantage of the of what America is. You know, 
Yeah, and his background, having worked at the USOC, the United States Olympic Committee and the USTA, which runs the US Open Tennis Tournament. Um, he's got a great background that isn't just soccer, but obviously he was a great player in his own right and he knows soccer inside and out. And uh, he's just, he's the right person at the right time, I think for the job. Yeah, he was, he was a great college keeper, man. He just was one great of those guys like way up in the top corner, these acrobatic saves and stuff. He used to, I, you know, we love the game. So he'd make a great save and you, you know, against you and you'd be like, Hey man, that was awesome. Oh, wait a minute. I got to keep playing. I was shocked that I didn't bring up the goal that I scored against him, but I thought that would be a little bit uh, of a low blow. Middlebury, what do you guys were playing? Little sister, free kick, the free kick, free kick outside of the foot, upper corner. Really? That's when the yeah. ball was like four hundred and fifty outside pounds. of the right foot, around the wall, into the upper corner. Oh, I doubt that so much. I Sam, swear it. I outside of his right foot, around the wall. He's like it's he's on. Like, it's it, it's it's on some you know three foot by five foot videotape somewhere. <laughs> some waterlogged ball up upstate Vermont. Oh, yeah. No way. Oh, yeah. All right, Sam, you got a quiz for us today? Uh, yeah, just got uh, just a few things. Um, I've noticed the trend that, and I'm sure I'm late to this game, but that, you know, pretty much every sports podcast out there spends a good amount of time talking about betting. Um, yeah. And we, we don't, we don't really do that. Um, the best thing is apparently you don't even have to be right ever because uh, most of the people just throw <laughs> out all these, you know, picks and then the next day comes and you think, Oh, they're finally going to get called out and they just move on to the next one. So uh, anyway, I was looking into betting a little bit. I'm also a little upset because, Such a watch the uh, I watch the Rangers every night, and every broadcast is brought to you by DraftKings, which is still illegal in New York State. So that's pretty sweet. And the Um, bets, the betting you can do right during the game. No, no, wait a minute, Sam. Let let me me just cut you off here. Why are you a Rangers fan? Uh, Because my dad grew up in New Haven, so he was a New York sports fan. Right on the cusp. I grew up yeah. right near New Haven too, and you're, it's like Switzerland. You're halfway between Boston. And I'm a and Devils Florida. fan, so you can imagine how I feel about the Rangers, and I'm sure Boy. Sam feels the same way about the Devils. So there. All we right. Go. Well, you know, Skip talked about you know playing other sports, so here we we can talk about other sports. Yes, we can. Yeah. Uh, so, go ahead, so, Tim. Sorry. So anyway, th- this got me looking into uh, some odds on DraftKings, and uh, I wonder, first of all, you guys can tell me, according to the site, who the favorite is for this summer's Euro 2020 to be played, obviously in 2021. I'm going to say Belgium. Yeah, that's probably the best, right? Nothing's true. Uh, so it's actually England at five to one. Oh, Belgium are at five point five to one, and France are at six to one. Now these will obviously vary from site to site, yeah. but these three teams are basically the three favorites in okay. sometimes varying <laughs> orders. And Sam Allardyce is going to coach. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to throw out my value pick, uh, which is Italy at eleven to one. Um, Italy qualified very impressively for this tournament. I don't think they're going to win the tournament, but I think at eleven to one that's it's worth it's a, a good shot. bet sam yeah yeah no one's gonna call me out so uh okay who is, is italy, the favorite italy still park the bus sam when they go up they just sort of no no they not they, they haven't they've, been they've in, moved on they haven't been in the qualifying your name sam grail my uh they've not been in the qualifying <laughs> they've played very well my prediction is that they'll probably get to the quarterfinals and then that old mentality will seat back in and we'll, we'll see a, you know a penalty for that no all drawn penalty kicks exactly uh yeah, so terrible. who's the favorite terrible. according to DraftKings for the 2022 world cup i'm gonna say germany oh geez you're going out on a limb with that one no well, i just feel I mean, like i just feel like you know you you basically take uh you pick croatia Bayern Munich and plug them into the national right. team with a few other exactly. players. Exactly, which is definitely an advantage when you play in a club team together and they take them wholesale into, you know, uh, the Spanish yeah. did that as well. I'm going to go with Spain. How about Spain? All right. It's actually France at six to one, Brazil at Allez, seven Allez, to one, uh, and Germany also at seven to one. So it's interesting. France are the third favorite to win the Euro, but they're the favorite to win the World Cup a year later so interesting i don't fully understand it well they Um, are world cup winners so you would think that they would get right the the incumbency to a certain extent uh so my value pick for this one is belgium at 11 to 1 for obvious reasons great 11 to 1 they are considered the favorite to win the euro i don't see why a year later they would not be amongst the favorites to win the those odds will change those odds bad though that azard has been so banged up right sam that's gonna hurt if he was fit Mm. Uh, he's such a big difference maker on that team. Yeah, but yeah. De Bruyne, I mean, De Bruyne, yeah, I mean, obviously. 
So uh, I'm also going to throw out a few picks for this weekend. If anyone okay. out there listening wants, sure. to, wants to get on this, um, I'm going to stick to Serie A because that's really all I follow closely enough to comment on. Um, Juventus <laughs> are playing Roma, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Um, my bet there is what's called an X2 in Italy. I don't really know how to say it otherwise, but it's a double chance move, which means you cover both the draw and the win for Roma. So uh, that's 2.05 to 1. And then the Udinese-Verona match, I like Verona to win away at 3.2 to 1. So you're actually so, giving betting tips to our listeners. I'm giving betting tips. Yeah. I mean, it's it seems like the best way to go. In terms we're going to make it service. We are a full-service podcast. I'm going to make a prediction, Sam, but I'm just going to lay it down as a score. I'm not going to lay it down in your 3.2. I'm going to say Man City 3, Liverpool 1. Okay. Wow. Yeah, they're beat up and they're well. Well, you know what though, I'm gonna. I'm and gonna Chelsea say, Spurs, Chelsea Spurs today. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna say one all Chelsea Spurs today. Okay, Spurs. Uh, Mourinho does not do well when he starts losing games. Things no. Uh, start to the wheels start to come off the parked bus. Loom is off the road. Have a bail. What a just a, an unenthusiastic just nothing he's just that whole thing is just been weird they spent a lot of money for him and he doesn't even play he plays in like some meaningless fa cup games but i watched him play against liverpool when he got in and he barely moved towards the ball didn't didn't want it one of those players just kind of just drifting around like he's pissed and instead of like saying okay he's gotten his chance he started yesterday i think so it's sort of um that's amazing to me he should have gone out and in the first two minutes (laughs) broken somebody's leg like the guy in Southampton. <laughs> so, all right. And some big, some big games this weekend. I, I think I'm going to go two one Liverpool over man. Man's, Whoa. That's yeah, bold. Let's see what happens. All right. Well, cause they just had a loss. We'll see what happens. It'll be a wide open game. And um, you know, I mean, I think everybody sort of has packed in a little bit against Liverpool and they just don't come out of the back as effectively as they had. I think, you know, you're talking about those top three players, Grail, they are not receiving the ball in the places where they were receiving them when uh, you know, when, when Robertson and, and um, I mean, Salah has got 15 goals this year. So it's yeah. not like he's not had a good year, but the other he, guys he's blown have 15 been less productive in the last three games too. Yeah. So they, they've right. lost a lot of games one nil and they've just not scored a lot of goals in a lot of games. All right, great. So a lot to watch this weekend and a lot for us to talk about next week on Over the Ball. I'd like to thank our guest today on Over the Ball, the CEO of U.S. Youth Soccer, Skip Gilbert, uh, Grail Hallett, Sam Griswold. I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB. O-T-B.